Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. If you have a gospel from heaven, then you have to live as though you have a gospel from heaven. We don't have here a theory of salvation, a hypothesis of how mortals might be made right with their creator, untested, unproven. It's not what we have. This isn't a classroom of science as much as we love science. This isn't a classroom of science where we're testing hypotheses about how a person might become right with God. Some through great learning, even in theology, have, as it were, fallen into the sky, gotten so much into their heads that the gospel becomes fuzzy and vague. It becomes like a hypothesis, like a scientific theory that you're always trying to prove and make sure is true. But that's not the way the gospel actually is, and that cannot be us. We have the gospel from God, through Christ, by His Holy Spirit, preserved for us in the inspired text of the Scriptures. It's not vague, and it is not uncertain. It's clear. It's not a gospel fabricated by people that we have to investigate and test whether it's true. It is the gospel that comes from heaven. And therefore, we know that this gospel is true. It doesn't need updates. It doesn't need corrections. It wasn't invented by first century Jews or 20, 20th or 21st century evangelical Americans. However much anyone wants to deconstruct everything else that we know, the gospel cannot be deconstructed. It's the most basic fact we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Namely, that Jesus of Nazareth a true man who lived on this earth like us 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth was and continues to be today both man and God. And uniquely as the God-man, he came to earth and lived a perfect sinless life and then was pinned to a Roman cross in real historical time there to suffer the penalty for sins that we've committed so that any who looked to him in faith received a cleared record, no matter how stained and filthy the record may be. Immediately in God's sight, cleared, the penalty paid on Jesus. Three days later, he resurrected to life the stamp of God's confirmation that all who trust in him will be saved from eternal judgment and like him will be raised to newness of life forever and ever. Now, those words that I just spoke to you come from heaven. They don't come from, ultimately, the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote the letter of Galatians that we're studying today. They don't come from, ultimately, some Middle Eastern, ancient, Near Eastern, Middle Eastern, Greco-Roman context out of which they were born. They don't come from the Jewish mind or the Roman mind or the Eastern mind or the Western mind. They don't come from me. They didn't come from you. They didn't come from your grandpappy who first taught it to you. It didn't come from a Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever minister down the street. That is the gospel that's come to us from heaven. And we are more certain that that gospel is true than we are certain of our own names. 
There are some things we take for granted that seem very certain, that are less certain than the gospel. Newtonian physics, which held sway for many hundreds of years, was disproven by Einstein's theory. Or the theory of ether, which all well-known Western scientists for many, many years accepted as a proven and indisputable fact, we now know ether doesn't exist. So there are even scientific theories, many of which today, I'm sure, in 100 or 200 years of Christ tarries, will be disproven. They feel certain, they are useful, they are not as certain as the gospel, because those theories are observations by man. What we are talking about today comes from heaven. You maybe have heard of how in the ministry of the late evangelist Billy Graham, There was a time earlier in his life, as he had just begun to evangelize as an evangelist, where a good friend and co-evangelist of him, his, began to question whether the Bible really was from heaven, whether it really was truthful, every word of it. This led Billy Graham himself to start to question whether it was true, a sort of inner turmoil that he felt. And famously, one day he went into the woods and took his Bible open, laid it there in the dark upon a tree stump realizing that there were difficulties in the Bible that he, with his own intellect, could not resolve, he prayed to the Lord, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And some will consider that losing all intellectual credibility, throwing away your mind, but it was not that. And whatever else you may think, or we may think of all that Billy Graham said and did, the fact is that that very same year was the Los Angeles Crusade, which catapulted him into large crusades thereafter. Many people did come to Christ because Billy Graham preached the gospel as if it was from heaven, not from men. If he'd gone the way of his co-evangelist and considered it a message from men, we wouldn't know about him today. But instead, there's a lot of fruit that comes from his ministry. The gospel comes from heaven. Do you believe that's true? That's why we have these two verses we're considering today. You'll see at the very beginning of them, verses 11 and 12, I would have you know. I would have you know. The Holy Spirit wants you to know, just like Paul wanted the Galatians to know, that his gospel is not of human invention, but it does, in fact, come from God in heaven to us. So let's look at Paul as he continues to write here in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Some have taken these two verses to be the thesis, the summary, the main point of this entire letter, and they can fairly be taken that way. Paul says, the gospel I preach is not from man, that's not its origin, therefore it's not according to man, it's not man's gospel, 
It's not a human invention and it's not human in its nature. But because of that beginning there, for I would have you know brothers, we can take this passage almost directly for ourselves. It's true, it was written 2,000 years ago, and any time you study Scripture, you first want to understand its original context. This was the Apostle Paul. We've talked about him. He wrote this letter. He really did 2,000 years ago to a region of modern-day Turkey called Galatia to churches that he had probably helped to plant there. He wrote this letter to them as false teachers, Judaizers, came in to distract them from the true gospel. And the point of the entire letter in that context was Paul saying to them, my gospel's not made up. You can't add to it like the Judaizers want to do. You can't alter or change it because it came directly from Jesus Christ, from heaven. It can't be changed. And that's going to be the point of this entire letter. But he does say, for I would have you know brothers, and if you are in Jesus Christ by faith in him and his gospel, you are what we call a brother or a sister in this usage of the term. You're a believer. So while Paul wanted the Galatians to know this, the Holy Spirit who inspired this text wants you to know, to know that the gospel that you hold is not of human origin. And it's not human in nature. It's something more than that. It's really divine. God wants you to know that, so that's what we're going to spend this time convincing ourselves of. By the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing what we know in this case, of those two things, that the gospel is not human in its origin, and the gospel is not human, therefore, in its nature. So let's look at this text under those two headings. We're going to begin at the end, and you'll see the logic of that later, but let's begin with the fact that the gospel is not human in its origin. See verse 12 before we look at 11. For I did not receive it, that's the gospel, from any man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel did not come to him from people, and what is to say almost the same thing, he wasn't taught this gospel by humans, by people, but he received it from Jesus Christ through a revelation of Jesus. Now looking at verse 11, the it as I said, is the gospel. You can see, sorry, verse 12, the it is the gospel. And verse 11 tells us that. It says, the gospel that was preached by me. It is the gospel message Paul preached, which in its most simple form, it's two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and all that that means for God's people. That's the gospel. That's what Paul preached. As we're going to see in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians, Paul's gospel was the same gospel as that which was proclaimed by all the early Christians, by the apostles, by those who had walked with Jesus. Jesus himself preached the gospel of the kingdom in an early form, and his apostles afterward granted the Holy Spirit, proclaimed the gospel in its fullness. Paul is not saying, I preached a gospel different than their gospel. But he does want to make a distinction, and you'll see that in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians. He wants to make a distinction so that no one assumes that, oh, it's the same gospel the other apostles preached. Paul probably just heard it from them. 
kind of switched it up for the Gentiles, because he's an apostle to the Gentiles, added a little flair to it, and that's what he's preaching. Probably the Judaizer false teachers were telling people that very thing. They said Paul wasn't even with Jesus in his earthly life. He's recycling material. He simply heard this from the other apostles. No, Paul says, no. Even though Paul's gospel was the same as the gospel proclaimed by the other apostles, consistent with the gospel presented in its early forms by Jesus Christ himself, yet there was much to Paul's gospel that was a fuller revelation as he was a minister specifically to the Gentiles. And Paul wants us to know he didn't make that up. The full inclusion of Gentiles into the body of Christ, Paul didn't make that up. Let me read to you Paul's own explanation of his ministry to the Gentiles and how he knew the gospel he proclaimed that's given to us in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus at that time, writing that letter, on behalf of you Gentiles, it's probably all of us here, unless you're Jewish in origin, Gentiles, non-Jewish, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, meaning, not something you can never understand, but something that wasn't understood before in the Old Testament times, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, not by Peter, not by James, half-brother of Jesus down in the Jerusalem church, but by revelation. The mystery was made known to me as I've written briefly. When you read this, you Gentiles, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. You can't, he couldn't go read an old book about it as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is this mystery? He tells us this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You don't have to be circumcised. And you don't have to keep the law of Moses. You don't have to become a Jewish proselyte. You can come to Jesus Christ directly as a non-Jewish person. He continues, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. The gospel Paul preached to the Gentiles was not different from the gospel that Peter preached to the Jews. We'll see that shortly in Galatians. But there was more of the implications of the gospel that was revealed directly to the Apostle Paul. Namely, 
that you don't have to be Jewish to be saved. That you don't have to become a Jewish proselyte convert to be saved. That any person the world over who trusts in Jesus Christ by faith only is reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. The Judaizers were teaching salvation was impossible apart from becoming a Jewish convert, a Jewish proselyte, being circumcised, keeping at least some aspects of the law of Moses. But Paul was told by Jesus Christ himself, the authority on the matter, that faith alone was necessary. There are no barriers, no obstacles that stand between a person in their sin and Christ except that sin. That's it. There's not a series of steps that a person in this world has to take before they can come to Christ. There's not a line that you have to stand in until it's your turn to come to Christ and be saved. You don't have to perform certain ritualistic acts, go to enough masses, come to enough, enough church services, turn your life around, turn over a new leaf, pick your metaphor. You don't have to do any of those things and then come to Christ. The point of Paul's gospel, specifically in the context to the Gentiles as opposed to the Jews, but it applies to us in this way, the point of Paul's gospel over against the Judaizers is that any person in this room, any person in this world who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and believes is made right with God that moment. Nothing else is necessary. Good works will follow from the new heart granted by the Spirit when that happens. But the good works don't come before coming to Christ. They flow out Afterward, that's why our gospel is literally good news. A good news of free grace. So if anyone were to ask Paul, just like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? There's no mention of sacraments. There's no mention of last rites. Or there's no mention of going to church. There's no mention of turning your life around. Instead, Paul's reply is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. This might seem like a simple idea. Believe, be saved. Believe in Christ, be saved. But it's one of the hardest for mankind to grasp. And that's why most of mankind doesn't grasp it. That's why you and I, even if we know Christ now, there was a time when we didn't want to grasp it. <laughs> when we didn't. As simple as it may seem, we didn't. It's such an odd idea, and we'll come back to this momentarily, but it's such an odd idea that we could be completely cleared of our guilt before we do anything good, that there's no other religious system in this world that has ever stated that. Not one. There's not one way of thinking that says, before you do a single good thing, you can be completely right with God and assured of eternal salvation. Nobody says that. Every religious system says, here are the good things you need to do. Do them. Go to heaven. Go to paradise. Be released. Be a good person. Whatever it may be. It is only the gospel that says, 
You may this moment feel like you are one million miles away from all these people who call themselves Christians. You're a million miles away from ever being accepted by Christ. Your life is so immersed in sin. You're just the sort of person, you're a sinner. You can't be a believer. You couldn't imagine yourself being a Christian, living a Christian life. Maybe someday in the future that's for you, but right now you're just so far away from Christ. The gospel is this moment you are exactly one step away from Jesus Christ and eternal salvation. One step. Not circumcision, Mosaic law, salvation. No. Believe salvation. That's it. If you look to Jesus Christ, you are saved. This is why Jesus in his ministry spent so much time with prostitutes and tax collectors, much to the chagrin of the good religious people. Because Jesus did not come for people who considered themselves healthy and well off. His gospel was for those who felt far from God, who felt living for God an utter impossibility. He came for them. And he said, it is an impossibility. Look to me. I'll take care of everything. I'll do the dying on the cross. I'll do the resurrecting. I'll change your heart. You take one step to me. Here's my hand. You accept the hand, you are saved. I'll take care of what follows. I'll walk with you through the Christian life. That is the gospel that we'll come back to in a moment. But that's why Paul has to say here in our text, I did not receive it from any man. Because there's not any man on this earth who had ever come up with that. <laughs> Nor was I taught it because nobody's teaching it. <laughs> but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ because he's the only one who came up with such a thing. Now, receiving it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, you probably first think of when Paul was on his way to Damascus as an unbeliever, and Jesus appeared to him in a revelation, in a bright light, spoke to him, Paul was blinded temporarily, and then led into the city of Damascus and came to Christ there. Now, Paul probably in our text in verse 12 is referring to that instance. Because when you come across that in the book of Acts, Jesus doesn't say a lot to Paul that's recorded for us originally. But later, when Paul is referring back to that moment in Acts chapter 26, he does explain that there was more said by Jesus than Luke records at first. For example, in chapter 26, Paul says that Jesus told him when he appeared to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me, and to those in which I'll appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, the Gentiles, to whom, to the Gentiles, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And there we have in that first revelation of Jesus to Paul on the way to Damascus, an outline of Paul's gospel. Not in every detail, but it is an outline where he says, you, Jesus says, you, Paul, will go to the Gentiles, turn them from darkness to light. By faith in me, they will now have a place among those who are holy. Originally, that was just Jewish people, God's people and those who came to them. 
said, no, 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 now the Gentiles have a part. They have a place among God's people just by faith. However, Paul's knowledge of the gospel is so profound that I think we're certainly to understand, even though it's not told to us, that there were further revelations that were given to the Apostle Paul after that first revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe these took place for the three years immediately after his conversion when he went away into the desert into Arabia and then he returned again. We don't know anything about that period of time. Maybe Jesus was at that time revealing himself to Paul, helping him to fully grasp the gospel he was to preach. Maybe. Maybe it was then. But at some point, starting there on his way to Damascus, and at some point afterward, Paul received his gospel through a revelation, directly from God, through Jesus Christ, directly from heaven to him. This is in contrast, because he says, I wasn't taught it. This is in contrast to the way that Paul learned his Judaism, for example. Because Paul was up and coming, he had studied under Gamaliel, who was a great Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem. Paul knew what it was to be taught by a human teacher. He didn't despise that kind of learning. He had spent so much of his time learning in that way. But when it came to Christianity, he didn't just do the same thing he did with Gamaliel, but now go to Peter and sit under his feet and learn. This was direct from heaven. And there is a contrast there because what evidence we have of rabbinic teaching around the time of Jesus usually would go like this. Rabbi so-and-so says that this text means this and applies in this way, but Rabbi such-and-such says that actually the text means this. However, Rabbi this says this, and it goes on and on. That's a typical rabbinical way of teaching. You cite various rabbis and their opinions on texts of the Old Testament, how they apply. I hope you can feel just how different Paul's instruction from Jesus Christ was a revelation from Jesus saying, this is the gospel, receive it, proclaim it, the end. <laughs> Not various opinions of Christian teachers or apostles. This is why, by the way, that Paul is so interested in the New Testament when he comes to proclaiming the gospel. He's so interested in doing it with boldness. That's what he's asking prayer for. That when he proclaims the gospel, he'll do it with boldness. For example, he asked the Ephesians to pray for him in Ephesians 6.20, that he is an ambassador, quote, I may declare the gospel boldly as I ought to speak. Because that is a natural consequence of having a gospel that has its origin in heaven, not from mankind. When we're talking about political ideas, when we're talking about sporting projections, when we're talking about what we think the weather is going to do, even when we're discussing important things like secondary theological or Christian practice matters, we can do that with a degree of tentativeness because usually our authorities there always need to be filtered through scripture, but often we have to take in other information that comes from people and then we have to figure out how do we apply this? What do we do? So we can hold that with a degree of tentativeness. Maybe this sports team will win and maybe not. Maybe this is the very best way to handle this cultural issue and maybe it is not. Use biblical principles. However, when it comes to the gospel, it's not like that. It's not that preacher so-and-so 
his gospel is this. Preacher, such and such gospel is this. Maybe we'll blend them together. Maybe we'll take pieces from this and from this. Preacher so-and-so doesn't have a gospel. Preacher such-and-such can't invent a true gospel. There's one true gospel. It comes from heaven. And when we proclaim the gospel to others, it's not with a humble tentativeness, which sometimes feels nice because you feel less offensive. Not, uh, you know, I don't want to offend you, but you're struggling. Maybe this would be helpful to you. Maybe not, you know, but you might consider it. That's not how you proclaim the gospel. <laughs> you proclaim the gospel as an ambassador. If your gospel is really from heaven, you have to speak it as if it's from heaven. And this is true if you're a more timid person, as I contend to be myself, or if you're more bold and outgoing, it doesn't matter. The specifics of it, that's fine. But in essence, we proclaim our gospel with boldness as if we're telling people a message Christ gave us to give them. It's not a message that we ourselves learn by dissecting opinions of various teachers. It's a message that came from Christ to the apostles, including Paul. It's written in ink for us in our Bibles, and we proclaim this gospel to others with boldness. These teachings are not on the same level as the Buddhist teachings. They're not on the same level as Muhammad's. They're not on the same level as Oprah's. They're not on the same level as those who speak confidently on social media. These teachings, this gospel is on an entirely different level. And we can speak it as if it's absolutely true. As though it were from heaven. As if we were only ambassadors of a message that is not human in its origin. This leads us now to our second point. And it follows from the first. You can see that in the logic of our text because verse 12 starts with the word for. And the for tells you that verse 12 helps you explain what's said in verse 11. In verse 11 he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Paul says, you can know my gospel is not man's gospel. It's not human in its nature. For, verse 12, it didn't come from any man. So if the gospel came from heaven, we should expect it looks like a gospel that came from heaven and not like a gospel that was made up around the corner by so-and-so. So now we move from the gospel which is not human in origin to what follows naturally from that. If it's not human in origin, Paul says, then it's not human in its nature, in what it actually is. Now, in the original, Paul uses a preposition here that does not appear in the ESV, and that's okay, but I want to at least explain it to you. It might be in your translation. I think it's in the NASB. He says, the gospel that was preached by me is not... According to man, the preposition used in the Greek, the original is kata, which means according to, in keeping with. It's not in keeping with, it's not according to, consistent with man in the sense of humanity or mankind. That's the point he's making here. The way I understand what he's saying here is the gospel is not human-ish. Does that make sense? The gospel is not like what a gospel would be if a person made it up. Because a person didn't make it up. So an animal that is born to a dog 
if that dog is the source of the animal, what would you expect the nature of the animal to be? A puppy dog. Because the origin of that animal is born from a dog, therefore its nature is dogish. It's not the same dog, but it is a dog. And a cat, if the origin is a cat, it has a baby, it is a baby cat, kitty cat. And its nature is a cat. That's the idea here. If the gospel's origin is in heaven, then you ought to have a heavenly gospel. And that is precisely what we have. Not a human gospel, but a heavenly gospel. Now, I can almost, but not fully, prove this to you empirically just by observing that the gospel is offensive and contrary to what we are as people naturally, to our fallen nature. And it is contrary to us in two ways, which suggests we wouldn't make it up. Number one, the gospel looks at you and says, first, you are a sinner. Paul's gospel, the very first thing it tells anyone is that you're bad. First, it points to the law. Here are the Ten Commandments. Here's the moral law of God. And it says you failed on basically every point. <laughs> Not very fun to hear. Usually when we people come up with a philosophy to understand ourselves, we tend, especially in the West, to lean more toward ones that make us feel good. Or if we know we're bad because our conscience testifies against us, we at least justify our badness. If a woman is shoplifting, she says, well, at least I'm not hurting anybody. If a guy's cheating on his taxes, he says, well, I could be doing worse. Or I have such a hard way to go. People don't understand. That's why this isn't as bad as it seems. But the gospel comes along, points at the law, and says it's exactly as bad as it seems. The jig is up. No excuses. The first point of the gospel, if you really want to understand the gospel, the first point is that you are a sinner, that you have offended God, and that the penalty for that is eternal wrath. If you don't believe that, the gospel's nothing. It means nothing. What does it mean to be saved from wrath if there is no wrath? There is wrath because of our sin. But you see how that offends what we naturally are. That's one reason it's unlikely, to say the least, that people would invent this religious system. Even other religious systems that do talk about sin or doing wrong will then follow up by saying, look, you've done wrong, you know it, but at least you can fix the situation. So you go, okay, that's not so offensive. At least you can keep the pillars of Islam. At least you can follow the noble path at least you can, and then you'll make up for the wrongs that you did. So we accept that and go, okay. But the gospel sticks its finger in your chest and says, you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do about it. It says, I hold up. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to turn my life around. It says, that's worthless. It's worthless. You say, wait a second. I've made sacrifices to be a Christian. So many of my friends have walked away, but I have, I'm, I'm sacrificing to follow Jesus Christ. And the gospel without blinking, says, that means nothing. Your whole religious systems, all the sacrifices, you could go be a missionary in a very difficult place. Do whatever you want to try to do to clear the record of your past guilt, and the gospel says it's still there. Not one ounce is removed. It is very unlikely that a human would invent this sort of gospel. A gospel that says you're a sinner, there's nothing you can do about it. However, if we're considering the gospel as heavenly in its nature, it makes sense. Because what other method of salvation 
can completely give all credit and glory to God and only to God, except a method of salvation that says you can do nothing good by which to contribute to your salvation. God is the one who has to initiate the plan. God is the one who has to bring about the plan in real time through great sacrifice, even the death of his son. God's the one who raises him from the death before you even exist. God is the one who by his spirit applies that salvation, opens the eyes of your heart so that you believe. God is the one who then sanctifies you. You say, well, where's my credit? <laughs> There's none. There's none. The Judaizers say, that's offensive. We're, we're good Jewish people. We've worked hard. We're pursuing the righteousness of God by the law. And the gospel says, it's worthless. Instead, Naaman, go to that river and dip, 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 and you'll be clean. And Naaman in his pride, just like all religious men in his pride says, I won't do it. <laughs> the servants say, just do it. Just believe. It's simple. It's too simple. It's offensive to what we are naturally. The gospel is heavenly in its nature. It's not human. A gospel that's human in its nature would give you at least some alleviation. It wouldn't just hold its finger there, say you're bad and nothing you can do about it. But the gospel itself says you're bad, there's nothing you can do about it. But Christ has done everything. God has done all of the work. So instead of doing something, look only to him. Faith in him alone and you will be saved. Now, one final application of this as we come to a close is that if we really have before us a gospel that's heavenly in nature, if Paul can really say, I didn't receive this from any man, that means, I hope you understand, that the gospel that we proclaim did not originate here in Faith Bible Church in 1992 when we came together. It's not our gospel. We didn't invent it. You know that in the United States, as across the whole world, there are so many denominations of Christians. And our tendency, which is very human of us, is always, even subtly at times, to put up these fences in our mind and to think the people who are the legit real Christians are the ones in my church. They're the ones in my denomination. They're the ones who dress like me and talk like me and know the vocabulary that I use. John the Baptist, he was a Baptist. So if you're a Baptist, you think, oh, John the Baptist. No, that's not a denomination. We look down the street at another church of a different denomination. Perhaps it's Presbyterian, perhaps it is Lutheran. If they're preaching the true gospel, they are a true church. If they're practicing the ordinances, we may have some disagreements. We do. But if they do so truly, they are a true church. They receive that same gospel. They're probably more faithful than us in some ways. When it comes to the content of our gospel, what the gospel is, his death, resurrection, and what that means for us, no compromise. But there are times when it comes to secondary, important secondary matters, or even tertiary, third level issues of how we dress and how we sing, that you just have to be able to step back and say, that's how we do it. Others who do it differently still have the gospel still are part of the family of God. This may come as a shock to you, but if you travel the world, not every faithful church sings worship like this. <laughs> we do, and that's fine. Worship in your heart. I love it. You can raise your hand if you want to. Do whatever you... But that's a cultural thing. You understand? And there are other churches that that would be such an odd cultural thing to do, so they're just not going to do that. 
If our gospel is not man's gospel, not from any man, it's not from us. It's not the American evangelical gospel. It's not the Midwestern gospel, the Southern gospel. It's not the Southern Baptist gospel, the Baptist gospel. It's not a Presbyterian gospel, Lutheran gospel. It's not the gospel of the West versus a gospel that's more relevant in the East. Jesus Christ died upon the cross, extending his hands, and the sign that was above him, on top of his head, was in three languages, saying, here is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And not one of those languages was English. <laughs> it was a language from the West, two languages from the West, Roman, Latin, and Greek, one from the East, Aramaic, and Jesus, as it were, brought the hemispheres together in himself. Look at every other religious system. Because it's made by man, it stays right where it was made. It reflects the local customs, even as they change over time. Islam began in the Middle East, and it's in the Middle East today. Buddhism began in the Far East, and it's predominantly in the Far East today. Confucianism is in China. It's still in China. But we don't have a gospel that began in America and is still in America because it's not a human gospel crafted after us. Our gospel came from a Middle Easterner in a Greco-Roman context 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world where Christianity's never been predominant. And we believe it. It's not American gospel. It's a gospel that's not from any man, from any culture, from any region. It's not our gospel. It's not our church's gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that came direct from heaven to Paul. It is heavenly in nature. And now we have the opportunity to go to all creation, no barriers, and proclaim to them a gospel that is not if you become American and wear a suit and tie and talk like us, you can be saved. If you become a Baptist, if you become non-denominational, if you come to our church, you can be saved. No! How great is the freedom that we can go into all the world and proclaim this gospel. There is one step between you and eternal salvation today. Whatever your culture, whatever your sins, and whatever your background, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So may God help us to know and to believe that our gospel is not local to us, but our gospel is the gospel. And we are ambassadors who have every right and the duty to proclaim it to every creature under heaven. <laughs>